I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Why are we at the mall? Listen, we just spent an entire season hanging out at Quick Stop on the Jay and Silent Bob Minute, and I thought we could use some new scenery. But why the mall? It has everything we need. A cookie stand, a magic eye poster, and Stan Lee. It would be better if Batman was here. Ben Affleck is here. <sighs> I guess that's close enough. If you've enjoyed this witty banner, please join us this season on Jane Silent Bob Minute as we discuss Kevin Smith's mall rats. Snoochy boochies. We will figure out why this original opening exists, why Shannon Doherty keeps changing outfits, and why that kid is back on the escalator again. So join us for all the chocolate-covered pretzels you can eat. On Jane Silent Bob Minute on Dueling Genre. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character and a great story i'm joe dorowski and this week i'm joined by returning guest kevin helps to Hello. discuss ham beasley from the office welcome here kevin so glad to have you back after so long i'm so psyched Since talking about star trek was fine but the office is my jam <laughs> now for our listeners this is probably gonna drop a couple months apart but <laughs> for you and me we just ended the star trek episode yeah, I didn't know how transparent you were about that, so I wasn't going to say Yeah, that. we like to give the illusion that I just constantly have guests dropping by with me and Andrew. Uh, <laughs> just everyone weekly, uh, we, we have different people. If if our listeners uh, pay any attention, they'll notice usually within a few week, a few months span, the same person appears twice. It's because we double record a lot with our guests. Can I tell everyone a horrible secret about you that's not related to The Office? I don't know. When he spills water on the carpet, he cleans it up. <laughs> He's a monster. <laughs> At least I hit the carpet and not Andrew's computer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who cleans up water? I just don't want it sitting there. It's a wet spot. There's nothing worse than like walking and getting your sock wet from you know, a random wet spot. And that's true. so if I, if I can remove that threat in my very own house, I shall. You did. Yeah, and you know what? This is your house, so I won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> when to clean up your cleaning supplies. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Pam Easley in The Office. And uh, before we dig into that a little bit more, Kevin, can you remember how you came to The Office? Yes. My origin story for The Office is, I think, maybe one of the most unique ones ever. I lived in Russia as an English teacher. And per the rules of my organization, I was not allowed to be out on my own after dark. But I lived alone in my apartment. And I was in Russia, where it's dark for a lot of the time. So when they say, can't go out after dark, it's a goodly chunk of the day. Yeah, so like after school, go home. I didn't have a good internet connection, but I did have seasons one through three of The Office on, I really don't remember what it was. It was a small plastic box that I could plug into my laptop and it would play The Office for me. Maybe a mobile hard drive? External hard drive some guy. I don't know. Um, And so I watched them over and over. I was in my... uh, early 20s then and so it it hit me right in the feels i i think i'm using this word right i stand jim and pam did i use that right that just got entered into miriam webster dictionary and i saw that when they announced that they were adding stand to the dictionary they said an ardent or overzealous fan so i I think that yeah i'll take that yeah um and so yeah and then i came back to the states um and then I, I don't want the listeners to think I look at every definition of new words that get added to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, but I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then so I watched the rest up until um, Pam got pregnant, and then for whatever reason I was like, "All right, that's that's fine." And then I moved on with my life. And then um, when it came out on Netflix, I finally finished watching it through. And the I, nine seasons. Yeah, all nine. And I think I've seen it maybe a dozen times now. There's something uh, wrong with me. That's a lot of times. Yeah, it's, it's my background noise show. Yeah. One, one of a kind. Yeah, no, it, I think it is a really valid thing to have a show that you know well enough that you're not paying close enough attention to the plot, but mm. makes you feel good to have on mm. in the background. 
I'm a covered in of, filth. A little bit of physical comedy from Kevin. He's just uh, spilling water. Um, went, after I'm mocking just... me for cleaning up a small here, I've got a paper towel for you. Right, I'm here. fine. All right, the water's the closest I'll have to a shower all day. But uh, I think it's really valuable to have shows that you turn on in the background while you're doing semi mindless work that don't require your full attention, just to yeah. kind of get a chuckle out of every now and then. And turn turn and look. So uh, with uh, some of the academic work I do, I have to index books, which is just putting in the key terms that you think are going to be uh, appearing regularly throughout it and hitting control F on a PDF file and then entering all the page numbers and double checking. Like if you need a subheading, uh, that's kind of mindless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And so exactly, having a show yeah. like the office on in the background while you do that, it, it makes it bearable. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing about the office too, is you kind of see the DNA of Michael Schur's other shows in it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like I watched friends for the first time, like a year ago. Like, I oh, still haven't done that one. <laughs> that well, it's it's fine, um, <laughs> but uh, you see, oh, that's where that kind of joke came from, or at um, least there. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, a similar thing. I um, watched all of Cheers for the first time a, a little while ago while I was working on a book on Cheers, and it was like, oh, this is modern sitcom storytelling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. these are the bones. And yes, you kind of have to get into a different mindset to jump back a decade or two decades or three decades, you know, to, to watch some of these earlier shows. But I think it's absolutely worthwhile, like you said, to see the DNA of the yeah. sitcoms that we have today. Well, and you also get to see when you have a specific writer like Michael Schur or Tina Fey does this a lot, too. You see the right uh, their voice come through in their mm-hmm. characters. And so, like, you can tell it's about two years ago that uh, Michael Schur started saying yeah basic as an insult yeah and all his characters started doing it uh-huh. and so yeah uh-huh. it's I think it's interesting and the office is in my mind the progenitor of those yeah I mean that's uh, kind of the proving rounds I think for Michael Schur and then from there he became the co-creator of Parks and Rec and then co-creator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and creator of The Good Place. And uh, I think there is a, a voice through line, uh, you know, yeah. in all of those that you can feel the, the kind of comedy and the kind of themes that are being explored in those. Um, I remember The Office when it was coming out, all the buzz about it and not online, but in newspaper articles I was reading when uh, they were going to be, this was before the first episodes were available for preview, but they were talking about the British version and how exciting it was that America, you know, the NBC was going to do uh, a version of that British version, uh, that British TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember reading the first reviews and saying, oh, that doesn't sound like it worked. <laughs> because the, the earliest reviews for The Office weren't great and the ratings were really bad. Yeah. Uh, it was a summer show with only six episodes and and it, there's uh it's remarkable how far NBC had fallen that they renewed it <laughs> for second season. Like it was uh, getting a quarter of the ratings of shows they canceled in their heyday and they renewed it for second season. <laughs> but you know that at like TV executive motivational speech camps or whatever, that that's got to come up. I mean, it, both that story. and uh, I mean, this is the history of, of, of NBC. Cheers was the lowest rated show on television. Some of the episodes that aired in its first I season. I did not know that. Like there was nothing that was less watched than a couple episodes of Cheers during its first season. And the NBC exec at the time said, do we have anything better to replace it with? And everyone's kind of like, well, no, because they, they all actually liked it at the network. We don't have anything of better quality. He's like, well, put it back on again. And uh, people started to find it during reruns in uh, between the 83 and 84 seasons. So in between its first and second season, because there were no DVRs. No one had anything recorded. They'd already seen the episodes of what was on the other networks because they were watching those instead of Cheers. And some people discovered the reruns because back in the day, they would just air the same thing the entire year <laughs> with reruns in the summer. Okay, uh, that's actually the coolest thing yeah. I've ever and so, And so, like, this isn't the first show to have a really rough start that then skyrockets in popularity. Um but because of that, I didn't watch it. And I remember specifically my brother Adam watching it and saying, this is really good. I'm like, it didn't get great reviews. He's like, I, I think it's going to be something. And then I can't remember why it was, but I ended up with the second season on DVD and like binged the entire thing. And it's not a bad start. I, I think it was when the third season was airing. So yeah. I couldn't get my hands on the third season, but I had all the second season and I binged the entire thing. I'm like, oh, I need to go see the first season. And I went and bought it and I didn't realize it only had six episodes and it was the same price as the second season. <laughs> Uh, DVD set and I bought it and, like, and they're, uh, the first season they're still finding their voice it's just not as good as, yeah. as what comes they're still figuring out Kelly. like the Kelly Kapoor in the first season has no relationship with the Kelly yeah. Kapoor uh, that comes and you can see they're still figuring a lot of things out and a lot of that first season is just trans
translating almost beat for beat some of the jokes from the original right. British uh, season. They hadn't found their own voice yet. Well, and in the pilot is the only time you hear Brian Bumgartner, uh, Kevin, speak in his natural voice. Uh-huh, and because it's, then it's it becomes weird. a... Oh, very slow. And yeah, and you get that ra- the, the, the rasp. Uh-huh. I'm Kevin. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> definitely not a good Kevin. Actually, sorry. Did Brian Baumgartner just come in here? Hi, guys. <laughs> well, see you later. Thanks for visiting. Yeah. That was him. And uh, Oscar isn't gay yet in the in, in yeah. the pilot. And so there's a lot of things that they were still um, figuring out. Uh, yeah. But when they do, I, I think... It's a show that's worth investing. Now I do I, know a trivia fact about Oscar. Okay, but when when we do trivia, okay, yeah, we'll get to the trivia. In a yeah, uh, but that second season is what grabbed me. Uh, and again, I don't, I can't remember how. Maybe someone had lent me the second season, and I just liked it so much. I went and bought the first season. I can't remember those details exactly, but I know the second season is where I was kind of like, oh, there's something here um, in this show. And I know a lot of people who's, I, I mean. Not there. There are people who are put off by The Office because yeah. some of its, its comedy is very snarky and, and very uh, cringy and, and dis. Yeah, it's a it's a comedy of discomfort. Yeah, right. And if that is really going to turn you off, The Office is not a show for you, and that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do find that it has. Um, if you're willing to invest in some of you know working through some of those bumps early on, it it is a great show, and it is. I I just. Before recording, I saw it's the number one show on Netflix. It's their most watched show. I mean, Netflix, surprise me Netflix guards their numbers. <laughs> yeah. um, but as a college, uh, you know, professor, it is a touchstone show for my uh, show for my students. Like it is one of the common. It's the lingua franca of you know those eighteen to twenty, you know, 20, young twenty year olds uh, that I they all speak The Office as. Yeah. And this is a show that's been off the air for over a decade at this point. I think maybe I, I have it in my so, trivia. Something like. Let's see. Oh, no. Uh, it, it's only been off the air for six years at this point. So for me, I'm paying Netflix $12 a month to take care of my The Office DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think I technically watch other shows. on I watch Star Trek pretty recently. Yeah. So there was that. <laughs> um, but uh, the reason I saw that is uh, just like every other media company, NBC Universal is looking at starting their own streaming service. And so they may be pulling The Office from Netflix. Oh. Uh, the, the contract's not up for a couple of years still, but they're already in negotiations with Netflix about whether it's just going to be done or Netflix is going to pony up a lot of money to keep The Office on there uh, because it is uh, their their most streamed show. That's awesome. I always <laughs> suspected. I always knew in my heart. Uh, anyway, we're going to be discussing two episodes from The Office. Cocktails is the 18th episode of season three, and it was written by Paul Lieberstein. Toby from The Office. He, he, uh, oh, well, bit of trivia. Everyone who works in the annex was also a writer on the show. That's why they worked in the annex, so they could disappear and not be on set while filming, so they could be writing scripts. Um, including BJ Novak, who gets banished to the annex because he's a writer. <laughs> uh, and it was directed by J.J. Abrams of Star Wars fame and Star Trek fame and a lot of other fame. <laughs> a lot of fame going on yeah. there. And it tells the story of Michael, Dwight, Jim, and Karen attending a cocktail party at Dunder Mifflin's CFO's house while Pam, Roy, and the gang from the office go out to get a drink after work. Beach Games is the other episode we'll be talking about. That is the 23rd episode of the third season. So these are only about five episodes apart, but they kind of demonstrate a key moment in Pam Beasley's development as a character. And that's something you really wanted to focus on when I said, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about Pam Beasley? Because I've seen your thoughts on Pam Beasley. We'll get into this in a little bit. <laughs> um, and I said, I said, what do you want to talk about? Is well, You were like, well, obviously Beach Games. Uh, but which other one is the best, you know, to pair with that? And that was a hard choice. Yeah. Um, and in Beach Games, uh, that is an episode directed by Jennifer Collada and Greg Daniels, and it was directed by Harold Ramis and of a lot of fame. They, they had good directors. It wasn't a... Uh, oh, Buffy creator. Why? Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon directed yeah. season three, too. Season three, yeah. they seem to be bringing in a lot of heavy hitter directors. Yeah. Uh, in this episode, Michael believes a promotion to corporate is imminent. So he takes the employees of his office to a beach where uh, what seem like classic team building activities are really his chance to see who's most worthy to be his replacement as branch manager. And he takes it very seriously. And we're focusing on Pam Beasley, who is played by Jenna Fisher. But there is an amazing ensemble cast that ebbs and flows. Like, there's a lot of cast turnover um, in the office. Yeah. Um, but uh, they, they, they had a strong casting department, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did a great job. All right, some trivia. You said you had a piece of trivia that you wanted to get out. Do you want to do it first here? Um, I think I learned this from Angela Kinsey's Instagram account, because obviously I follow the cast of The Office on Instagram. Um, But Oscar became gay when, I don't know if his last name is Nunez or Nunez. It uh, would be pronounced Nunez. It does have the... 
Yeah. Enye. But a lot of uh, Latino names get Americanized, <laughs> so right. I don't know. So, um, Oscar Nunez came into work wearing a pink shirt, <laughs> and that is when he became the gay character in <laughs> <on> The Office, <laughs> um, which is, yup, <laughs> that happened. Um, I, I do, I, it sounds very casual to say it that way, but they do give weight to his coming out story and everything like yeah. oh yeah, yeah. no, he, like him not being out as gay in season one doesn't mean he wasn't gay it's just he wasn't out as gay because him coming out as gay at the office and yeah. uh is a plot line i think in season three is season uh yeah his so his homosexuality is is a recurring plot mm-hmm. um the big one is oh come on i don't the, when michael kisses him which yeah. was improvised Yep. You're just a fountain of trivia for The Office. Apparently. I had no idea. All right. Well, we mentioned the U.S. version of The Office uh, had nine seasons, and that ran from 2005 to 2013, and it was an adaptation of the British television series of the same name. Uh, The Office had a short summer trial for its first season and was only six episodes long. Reviews were mixed. Ratings were low, but NBC believed in the creative team, and it was renewed for a full second season, and reviews and ratings were better, and it... I, th- I think the British office had two short seasons, if I'm remembering right. Like, uh, British television does It feels mu- like one season. Much shorter seasons. Two, yeah. uh, and, and so, um, early on, the, off- the American office was aping a lot of the plot lines from the British office, but pretty quickly they ran out <laughs> and had to be doing their own thing. And I think that's when they um, really found their own, their surer well, footing. And then Steve Carell's character meets Ricky Gervais's character. Which is just... You're like, what? What? Yeah, how, how does that even work? Yeah, so the British Office was created by Ricky Gervais um, and Stephen Merchant, uh, who both were actors in it, right? It was, uh, I don't know what Stephen Merchant looks like, so... Very tall and gangly. Probably. <laughs> was he there, Dwight? That's my understanding, is he was there, Dwight. Burton. I'm Googling him right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Office is the most popular show on Netflix, I already mentioned that, uh, and also kind of mentioned that it had major cast changes throughout its run most significantly steve carell who plays michael who who was the lead uh he leaves after season seven but the show carries on for two more seasons and i know like there are memes online about like people talking about like not watching anymore <laughs> you know after after season seven i think they're uneven but it's worth uh watching that maybe if you're like on your 12th binge maybe you you can be a little <laughs> more <laughs> I, I did i actually did skip almost all of season nine on my most recent run through yeah uh i i think they they made some story choices that I don't think quite worked. So uh, I guess we're going to talk about all of Pam's journey. But it, by season nine, like she and Jim are married and they introduce marital strife in season nine. Right. <laughs> like they're, they're fighting a lot. And one thing that I realized in thinking about why is this not working? And I don't think it's because they had them fighting because sitcoms can have characters fight. It's they forgot to bring the funny while they were fighting. Like, they just leaned into the emotional mm-hmm. angst of it. And I think about a show like Frasier where Martin and their dad, uh, you know, Frasier and Martin will have shouting match fights but there's mm-hmm. always something in there that makes you laugh even as it can hurt about its truth <laughs> you know at the same time right. and i think they missed that with the jim and pam fights in season nine there wasn't any of the the laughing as you're watching it yeah i and the people talk about skipping scott's tots the episode which the oh which is, is so cringe worthy yeah uh for me i can't watch jim and pam's fight mm-hmm. and part of it is as you say it it takes a really dark turn really fast mm-hmm. um and it also feels kind of unearned to me. Yeah. Like, you do see cracks in their relationship. Jim does snipe at Pam throughout the series. Mm-hmm. But it it just got so heavy so quick. And the, the idea And that, Jim, like, regressed. Yeah. So fast in yeah, his yeah. affection for Pam. And, like, everything was for Pam for so many seasons of the show. And then everything became about him <laughs> in, in that ninth season. Throughout the whole series, Jim is presented as a character who um, pretty much lacks ambition. And mm-hmm. and admittedly, you do see him like experiment with managerial positions, and then he does get into the sports job in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's uh, what's causing the marital strife. Right, right, right. And the thing is, it, it feels weird that he would put his ambition in front of Pam. Like, that feels like a sudden turn. Mm-hmm. It's like... Let's make these characters fight. How do we do it? We kind of have this thread going on with Jim. Let's just dial it all the way up immediately. Yeah. And then, like, the the correction is basically reverting him back to the Jim that we all knew. Right. Which doesn't also doesn't feel learned. Right? <laughs> right? Because well, then, if you send him on that path. Yeah. Because <laughs> then, then they move out anyway, and he goes to Utah or something. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> San it's Antonio, a, I think, is where yeah, they end up moving. Oh, it's, you're right. It's Texas. Yeah. It's not canon. 
I mean, so, so like an example from Frasier is I think in the pilot, uh, when Martin has to move in with Frasier, they, after a day or two, they have this yelling fight and, um, and Frasier says, well, I took you in. And Martin says, I, what, uh, it was just because of the, the guilt. And, and Frasier yells, of course it was, which is a funny line, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right then. But it's also opening up some really raw truths yeah, about it. Yeah. And so the audience is laughing even as you're getting that ethos, you know, that, that emotion right. is hitting. And for me, those Jim and Pam, Pam fights just forgot to bring any laughter. Right. Um, at all. And I think, uh, you can balance those successfully in a show and it just failed. And that's why I think that's one of the reasons for a turnoff. Also, what you said, like, it doesn't feel motivated by Jim's character that we've been with right. for eight years. Well, and they both have to pass their Abrahamic tests where Jim has to reject Kathy and Pam has to reject, I think his name's Brian. And it's, oh, neither- is that in the ninth season? The, yeah. the Kathy. And, and neither of those feels like a threat. Yeah. That- mm. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. K- Kathy is season eight. Okay. I'm sorry. She's season eight. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's a, it's, he's not even tempted I by her. I just clapped right into the microphone. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but, but like, she's not even a th- – like, he's, he has zero interest. Yeah, uh, at, at no point does it feel like she's a threat. It doesn't and feel – like, Nor should it. It's really yeah. odd why she's even in the show, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's probably the best-looking member of the cast, <laughs> but but that's not who Jim is, yeah. you know. Anyway, we, <laughs> we've we gone off the, off the rails. Can early we continue on. rating um, actresses by hotness? That's the sort of podcast we're doing, right? <laughs> uh, moving on, moving listeners. On. <laughs> uh, we want to thank each of you, uh, every one of you for downloading this episode and thank those of you who support us on Patreon. Uh, if you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So I'm going to have a quick, um, very brief summary. And one thing about um, summarizing sitcoms we found is it's really hard because you can't summarize the jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the reason you watch a sitcom. So I'm going to give a brief plot summaries of these. Uh, the show is available to stream on Netflix at the time of this recording, as we touched on. Maybe not in a couple of years if you're listening to back <laughs> episodes of the Protagonist Podcast. Um, dark future. Both of these are from season three. Uh, first up, we're talking about Cocktail Party. In the cold open, Michael attempts to show how to escape a straitjacket. It goes poorly. Uh, <laughs> Michael has been invited to a cocktail party with David Wallace, the company CFO. He plans to leave extra early to get there. <laughs> really early to this cocktail party and Dwight accompanies him. Jim and Karen, who are also invited, choose to arrive at the time mentioned on the invitation. Uh, when Michael and Dwight arrive, they realize Michael's shirt looks just like the caterer's, so he and Dwight change shirts to avoid embarrassment. Pam invites Roy to come to drinks with the rest of the office. Now, at this point, uh, Pam in season one and season two is engaged to Roy. It's this long-term and never never seeming to actually move anywhere engagement. They just mm-hmm. are engaged, permanently engaged couple. At the end of season two, Jim confesses that he likes Pam and kisses her, but she says, I'm engaged to Roy, so he moves to a different branch. Uh, at the start of season three, he's working at this other branch in a different city. Pam's still there, but you find out that she broke off the marriage with Roy. Right. Uh, Jim, at that other branch, starts dating uh, Karen. Karen and Jim get moved back to the Scranton branch, but they keep dating, and Pam gets back together with Roy. So now she's back together with Roy at this point. And uh, she invites him, Roy to come to drinks with the rest of the office. But Roy says he's got to go get hammered with his brother. Like, literally, that's what he says. Yeah. I can't. I need to go get hammered with my brother. Uh, she points out, we're going to a bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> and says that he wants to be her boyfriend. He needs to do boyfriend stuff with her. Uh, Michael has been dating. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> has been dating Jan, who's a Dunder Mifflin executive. Uh, she makes him sign a form for HR, which Michael calls his love contract. At the party, Dwight uh, asks two invasive questions, not TWO, but two TOO, just way too invasive questions <laughs> about the Wallace's house. Uh, while Michael and Jan have a very awkward love hate flirt fight evening. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, but it all feels earned on that front. <laughs> oh yeah. And no means please don't. <laughs> <laughs> at the bar uh and that's michael everyone just in case that felt really yeah <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with the episode i was talking to joe just now it just happened to be a michael <laughs> well no I was, if that was jan saying something and michael was was coming on to her oh no that would be a very different tone yeah, yeah very different tone uh at the bar pam is trying to be more assertive when roy says that he can read her like a book and knows exactly what she's thinking she says she's kept secrets from him and he kind of challenges her on that so she tells him that a month before their wedding which they called off jim kissed her roy loses it and throws a glass at the wall pam immediately says 
they are over, and Roy continues trashing the bar with the help of his brother, who is indeed in- hammered. Indeed hammered. <laughs> All right, the episode Beach Games. Michael is certain he's going to be promoted to corporate. He doesn't know it, but it's for Jan's position yet, <laughs> which <laughs> is uh, an extra layer to this comedy. But he knows he's leaving the branch, moving to New York to go to corporate. Uh, but the office has already scheduled these team building exercises at a beach. Uh, and he decides to turn it into a reality TV-like contest to choose the next branch manager. He asks Pam to take notes about everyone's performance, which excludes her from participating in any of the activities. He also tells Toby that someone has to stay at the office so Toby can't come. Because Michael hates Toby for no reason. Which is a Michael Schur kind of thing to have happen. Is that there's someone who's hated for no no real reason. If uh, you ever just do a Michael Schur retrospective, I also want to be on that episode. <laughs> I mean, we're heading at this point we have hit all of their the, we're 230 episodes into the protagonist podcast this is the last of the shows the, that his fingerprints are really heavily on that we are covering. I've got a pin yens about Toby and the Toby character in all of his shows yeah. which as we met it, he uh, mentioned he wrote one of these episodes <laughs> like yeah. uh, he, he uh, had a heavy role in how Toby was portrayed <laughs> yeah um, oh, yeah Let's see. Uh, Michael chooses four team captains for the games. He says this is random, but it's Dwi- Jim, Dwight, Andy, Stanley, the four people who would consider to replace him as the branch manager. The games begin with a blindfolded egg race, but nobody treats it seriously because they do not know the stakes. At the next event, a hot dog eating contest, Michael is frustrated and reveals he is basing his choice of successor on how people do in these contests. Stanley, Dwight, and Andy take things super seriously now. Uh, and, and then the next event is wrestling in giant sumo suits, the kind of like inflatable bouncy sumo suits. <laughs> uh, and Jim Jim still isn't taking it super seriously, and he's against Stanley, and Stanley just runs at him to destroy him, because Stanley does not want anyone else to be manager, because he's worked for long enough under Michael, and he can't handle another idiot in charge. Rather work for an <laughs> upturned mop with a bucket on your head. <laughs> uh, and Jim is legitimately scared of Stanley running at him like that. Uh, Andy, while he's in the sumo suit, falls into the lake and starts floating away. Jim and Karen are both called by David Wallace and invited to come interview for the job Michael thinks he is definitely getting. The final event is a walk across hot Holes. Michael tries to goad everyone into doing it, but nobody does. Then Michael is challenged to do it himself, and he just can't get up the nerve. So Dwight rushes in, because Dwight will do anything for Michael. And <laughs> Dwight says he's going to do this, and he begins to successfully walk across the coals, but then the heat gets to him, and he falls and writhes on top of the hot coals. Oh, <laughs> while everyone yeah. is screaming, and Michael and Dwight is demanding that Michael give him the job. <laughs> Luckily, the fire looks super fake. Yes. <laughs> it does. Uh, the glow there is um, a little electric, shall yeah. we say. <laughs> Uh, Michael calls everyone together for a sudden death tribal council because he says that doesn't that doesn't count. Twice. <laughs> uh, in the background, Pam decides to go try the coal walk, and she does it successfully. And then she interrupts the tribal council. She and I'm just going to read her monologue. She says, "Hey, I just want to say something. I've been trying to be more honest lately, and I just want to say a few things. I did the coal walk. Just I did it. Michael, you couldn't even do that. Maybe I should be your boss. Wow, I feel really good right now. Why didn't any of you come to my art show? I invited all of you. That really sucked. It's like sometimes you, uh, some of you act like I don't even exist. Jim, I called off my wedding because of you, and now we're not even friends. And things are just like weird between us, and that sucks. And I miss you. You were my best friend before you went to." Stanford, and I really miss you. I shouldn't have been with Roy, and there were a lot of reasons to call off my wedding, but the truth is, I didn't care about any of those reasons until I met you, and now you're with someone else, and that's fine. It's whatever. I'm. Not, uh, it's not what I'm... I'm not... Okay, my feet really hurt. The thing I'm just trying to say to you, Jim, and to everyone else in the circle, I guess, is that I miss having fun with you. Just you, not everyone in the circle. Okay, I'm gonna go walk in the water now. Yep, it's been a good day. And then Michael turns to the camera and says, Pam, that was amazing! But I am still looking for someone with a sales background. <laughs> End of the episode. Did you get chills as you read that? That was a good monologue. It's a good and, monologue. And Jenna Fisher does a really great delivery. She is such an actress. <laughs> oh my goodness. Such an actress. Um, is there anywhere you want to start? I have just a flood okay, of Okay, before thoughts. we dig into Pam oh, Beasley, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say The Office, besides like seeing the Michael Scherr DNA, it um, is one of the touchstones for how modern comedy for the last 15 years has, yes. been, has been presented. Yes. Doing the single camera, doing the direct talks to camera, a very different style of editing, a very different style of staging. Um, and, and yes, there are other shows that have done this, Arrested Development, uh, but but there is something, uh, it's one of those benchmark shows saying, okay, yeah. things are different from here on. <laughs> there, So I have some ideas on, on the brilliance of The Office. Um, it's, I, I genuinely can't say it probably isn't the first to do that documentary fake documentary style. 
Uh, I'm not sure. It definitely popularized it, though. You yeah. can definitively say that it popularized that, that um, format. Letting the audience be a character in the form of the camera, mm-hmm. I think, was really, really sharp because it pulls it, it makes it feel so much more intimate because Jim literally looks at you while you're watching the show. Yes. And, and um, it turns punchlines instead of being like set up, set up punchline, it becomes a look is your punchline. And it does, oh, yeah, 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 it yeah. does earn laughs. Well, and, um, and then it gives you a natural feeling way to have characters say what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does the Shakespearean internal monologue, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the like instead of yeah. just turning and doing a soliloquy while everyone else on stands on stage pretending not to hear what you're saying, you're sitting in a little office talking directly to the camera about what you're feeling. Producer Andrew wants to jump in. Are you mentioning that because I brought that up recently? No, I mean, okay, I've published research on The Office, and I've, I've definitely gone to that before. Oh, because I'm unaware of your research, I have argued for Shakespeare portrayed oh, oh. as mockumentary. Yes, you mentioned this after our last mashup special with Kirsta, and I love this idea that you had of um, doing the, uh, like, a, a modern-day version of, like, say, Hamlet, and it's you. You're intercutting the scene of Hamlet and the king and everyone with Hamlet's mockumentary direct to camera talk. That's a good idea. To do the soliloquy. That's a yeah. good idea. I, I've never. Yeah, I haven't heard it phrased the way you're, you're talking about it, and I really do like that. Yeah. <laughs> I want someone to make that. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, so the other thing I think they do is clever. It's a little more subtle. Is there's no music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps contribute to the idea of the feeling of intimacy of the show and that you're there with them. Yeah. And there's no laugh track, which was still pretty common up to, uh, you know, that era. Um, mm-hmm. So like Seinfeld, Friends, Frasier, those all have studio audiences laughing, which um, like I mentioned, this The Office is like one of the touchstone uh, TV shows for my students. When they talk about shows from before, one thing they always complain about is the laugh track. Because if you come up without yeah. laugh track, the laugh track feels very invasive yeah. when you jump back. Um, and there's reasons why the laugh track existed when it did and why it became the go-to language. I've of, learned to forgive of, laugh track. Yeah, but when you go back, it can be jarring um, yeah. to, to look at different errors. But you know what? In 20 years, people are going to go back on the office and say, that's weird. We don't do it like that anymore. Well, and something else that I think um, – so some that exists right now is you can get a VR headset and you can watch a movie or a show. There's not very many of them yet, but you can walk around and explore the space while the show is happening around you. And um, the office, like when I theory craft with friends, the office could be a show that that could work for because you they they have such a good because of the using just the one camera kind of they do little reactions. Oh, they they definitely they they cheat cheat on on their own system. They they pretend there's one camera, but definitely not. (laughs) Um, But they they successfully convey that feeling, and so the like the physical layout of the office becomes very clear very quickly and like the the use of space and the feeling of this is the room i'm in right. is is clearer than i think you expect. okay you've watched the the series more often than i have i ha. do have one question about the physical space of the office yeah does an office appear behind accounting midway through the series that didn't used to be there like the one that uh yeah the one that daryl and jim, jim uh, like is that there the entire time or does it just show up I think it just shows up. Oh no, Andrew! <laughs> Andrew's confirming that it just is, shows up. Is nodding his head. If it's there in the beginning, it it's is not very used. well concealed. Yeah, it's not so, used at all. Because it, I feel like the accountants are portrayed being in that corner, but they always have the filing cabinets behind them. I don't know. Yeah, I think the implication is that they build that office when they get like a secondary manager in Jim, right? I think Daryl's there first. I don't. Well, I don't I mean, know. I, I've not really watched yeah. the show that much, but I... So chronologically, Daryl gets the office after Jim. Oh, okay. I think Jim is the first character. But yeah, so like, there's a point where they go from just Michael to two managers. Yeah. And I think the implication is they built that office there to house the second manager. I mean, I just want to point out the the power structure of the office is absurd. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a major suspension of disbelief that any company running anything like this would survive. Where would the church be without its two popes? <laughs> Um, alright but okay so we've kind of addressed the significance of The Office as a TV show but you mm -hmm. specifically narrow in on Pam Beasley as having a fantastic character arc so I like to talk in a way that makes people think I'm smart unfortunately I think your average listener is maybe smarter than I am (laughs) 
so someone definitely a hundred percent is going to take umbrage with what I'm about to say. I hope I used that word correctly. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I call Pam's arc Tolstoyan because I took Russian literature at, at BYU. And one thing I thought stood out about Tolstoy's writing is that the character arcs were I was going to make a parable, but I don't know if I should. No, I'm going to. Okay. When you're painting um, and you want to do show a highlight, the the ideal way to do it is at any point. So if I want to paint like a green bag, right? And I want to show that the light source is over here. The perfect way for me to paint that bag is the, the color is noticeably different on the dark side of the bag and on the light side of the bag, but you can't see where it changes. Okay, um, that's what I think the perfect Tolstoyan character arc looks like, is if you look at any one moment and you follow the character for a couple of scenes, you don't see change, but then you see the difference and you go, oh, this actually naturally progressed. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and this is the hill I'm going to die on for this episode, that Pam Beasley is the best character arc that has been written for TV. I love her. Um Someone came at me with Zuko from Airbender. You're wrong. <laughs> Zuko's fine. But... I don't. I don't know Airbender well enough to to have a say on that. <laughs> Zuko's a good character, but he's no Pam Beasley. <laughs> All right, so we're we are seeing her at this moment of transition where there are a few changes in yeah. her behavior. She's standing up for herself more in these two episodes. Yeah, in both the ones that you chose, uh, like she tells. Roy, no, you've got to do stuff, which that was not Pam Beasley in season one and season two. Mm -hmm. um, and she also does this monologue to the entire office, which, again, that would be out of character for season one to season two. Right. Pam. Um, and and so this is kind of a, a tipping point for right. her uh, in, in these. So if, if we're going to talk about these transitions, what, how would you describe Pam Beasley at the beginning of The Office? Versus so, what we're getting in these yeah, two episodes. Yeah, at the beginning, Pam is given a pretty clear desire and a pretty clear external obstacle and a pretty clear internal obstacle to obtaining that desire. Which, I'm trying to think who was that was. I think that was Dwight Swain talked about that as the the excellent form of writing, right? Mm. Um, so her desire is Jim. Um, and her external obstacle to that is Roy that she's engaged to, which, you know, that's fair. Um, and internally, she lacks the the internal strength to basically break up with Roy and go after Jim, the, the object of her desire, right? Um, and then you see her go, admittedly, I feel season two is a little bit more about Jim than it is about Pam. It, I mean, it's clearly an ensemble piece from the beginning. Yeah. But of the two, I feel like we see a little more development in Jim where he basically works up the courage to um, put it all on the line, which is a terrible strategy. Single people out there. It's terrible strategy, <laughs> but it makes good TV. Yeah. Um, <coughs> you can trust me. I'm married. Um I got distracted by my own tangents. Well, so Jim had the similar, like, external, oh, yeah, yeah. like, the, the same external thing. Yeah. Pam's engaged, yeah. right? Internal, uh, I, I don't want to be that guy who's, yeah. who's yeah. going to, uh, you know, his self-identity wasn't someone who would disrupt or go after an engaged woman. Well, and I feel like what holds Jim back is that he has a serious problem with caring about things. Um, yeah. and so he the the entire show of the office follows a very clear theme of um a character believes they portray themselves in one way but they actually portray themselves in another way every single character in the office has that problem yeah um and so jim struggles with his own aloofness i would say whereas uh pam i think finds herself unworthy jim finds himself too worthy <laughs> um he, he thinks too much of himself uh -huh. Um, and he's actually a total jerk. Like, when you look at him through an objective lens, he's, oh, he's a terrible person. Yeah, the, so I mentioned some people who are turned off by The Office. One complaint I, I, I've I heard is that uh, Jim doesn't earn any happy ending <laughs> that <Yeah>. he gets. <laughs> no, I, yeah, he, especially in season nine when he takes a hard left turn. Yeah. That was me turning the wheel to the right. But the, the listener did not see the it. The listener has no idea. Um, but then, yeah, so we then get this cascade of events that starts when Jim uh, kisses Pam. Um, and she breaks off her wedding for reasons that are obvious to the audience, but 
apparently not to her. Um, and then season two, we see, I think the art show is the other one that I, I was tempted to make our other episode beside Beach Games. Well, it gets referenced in that monologue. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, That's the one that was directed by Joss Whedon. Oh. Well, and she has such a sweet moment with Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, because her relationship with Michael is also pretty important in the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we see her sort of build up this courage and um, <laughs> shows up at the art show and says, hey, I came and no one came from the office. How cool is that? <laughs> you're like, oh, you dear man. <laughs> um, you try so hard. Um, but you sort of see the fundamental selfishness of Roy. And Roy does get his own good moments to sort of justify her getting back with him. Um, but then, yeah, she builds up into this woman who... Um, by cocktails, she she explicitly says to the camera, that's where she gives the don't call me Pammy mm-hmm. uh, monologue, and I love that monologue, um, where she says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting what I want. And the moment that makes that episode for me is the bartender uh, gives her some beers to take back to the group. She takes them. She looks down at them. Jenna Fisher does the most amazing thing with her face. She should teach a master class on how to use your face on, on camera. Because uh, you see her go... Uh, she audibly goes, oh, and then there's this little battle she fights on her face, and then she's like, no, and she turns around and says, hey, one of these was supposed to be light, and that moment is so cool. It's mm-hmm. so well done, and it's like three seconds of camera time. And, but then also, after she does it, she has that burst of pride that comes across, right? Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then when Roy says, as, as you pointed out, he's like, yeah, you can't hide anything from me, Pam, and she gets that facial expression of, uh-oh. Um, yeah. And so then she she confesses not well I, I, she does confess her feelings but she tells Roy what happens uh, what bleh, what happened with Jim and that leads into that um, and then Beach Games it sort of comes to I'd say the climax of that aspect of her arc she does have a bunch of other stuff going on mm-hmm. um, but when the the coal walk is such a clear obvious um, analog for her facing her fear. Mm-hmm. Um, Admittedly, Dwight does it too. <laughs> Dwight fails. Yeah. And then we also get another line I love, Michael going, oh, that stinks! <laughs> As his friend is dying. <laughs> um, but then Pam does the cold walk, then she has that just amazing confession. Um, the episode following that, um, Karen actually confronts her about it and says, hey, we all say stuff we don't mean. And this is amazing uh, because she gives Pam an out. Uh, she's like, okay, I'm gonna let you get out of this this dug you this pit you dug for yourself. And Pam's like, no, 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 I meant what I said. And that's like, pow! Because Karen becomes a new external obstacle in season three. I gave that all out of order. Yeah. Get it in post. <laughs> <laughs> a presenter says, no, it's just gonna be stream of consciousness. Just gonna be. This is just Kevin <laughs> ranting about the office. Don't even get me started on Dwight. I do. It does also set up one of my favorite jokes of the entire series, which mm-hmm. is. Um, in the next episode, Roy tries to attack Jim, and, yeah. and Dwight sprays him with with pepper spray, uh, and takes Roy out, and uh, so you get a new dynamic of Jim like actually being thankful to Dwight. And, oh yeah! But yeah. but my favorite is uh, Karen in one of her one on ones with the camera says uh, after Pam gave her speech, mm-hmm. uh, Roy tried to attack him, and I made Jim have long hours long conversations about our feelings. I don't know which he hated more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's that's sort of my my overview of, of Pam's character arc and why I love her so much. And the thing is, you can because the office has that that more serial format to it, you can sort of track her changes from moment mm-hmm. to moment. And um, I don't know, I think it's wonderful. I think she's well written. Uh, so within these two episodes, you yeah. mentioned uh, her changing the beer order. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and also telling Roy, you have to do boyfriend stuff. Yeah. Right. And then doing the coal walk. Those are kind of like the the three big moments that say this is a different version of Pam. Right. Yeah. Uh, than what we, that we, what we had before. And uh, and she's actually the B story in both of those episodes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. the cocktails, it's really like it's uh, I mean, you might even say C because they give a lot of time to Dwight being weird in that house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An awful lot of time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which, uh, as a realtor, what do you think of Dwight's opinion of that? 
house he's walking through. These old colonials are great if they're sound. <laughs> like um, the, he's pounding the wall. These studs are too far far apart. You know, which having I, recently remodeled a room, I know sixteen inches is what you're looking for for your stud length. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'd say he's probably a better inspector than. than <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how good his. Uh, well, actually, hold on. He won. Um, Salesman of the month, 13 months out of the last 12 months. <laughs> so he months. could be a great realtor. So he probably would be a very good realtor for reasons that are never adequately explained. Um, yeah. So like we said, uh, that it's kind of B, maybe even a C story. Yeah. Uh, but I think they are the most um, emotional like beats for right. like uh, for those episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, like Beach Games, there's so much craziness going on. And like the broad comedy, uh, broad physical comedy. And, um, you know, the acerbic comments from Michael and everything. And, yeah. and, and Steve Carell does all these really big beats. Um, but if someone mentions Beach Games, and I think this is from the first time I saw it on TV, I think of it as the Pam episode. Like, you know, when she does yes. the, the, yeah. the, the walk. Like, it, it is what stands out in that episode. And... Uh, Jenna Fisher and Pam Beasley are going up against so many crazy characters in the yes. office and so much wild comedy um, that it's impressive to me that that um, resonates to the level that it does. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of distractions <laughs> that are going around um, that storyline. And I love these side characters. There's so many um, great ones and they all have wonderful moments that are laugh out loud funny right. um, throughout the show. But I agree with you in what you're saying about um, when you start to look at what Pam's Pam's arc, even more so than Jim's, like we often think of them as Jim and Pam. I think there's something more uh, uh, that can be seen as a progression for her. Right. right? Um, whereas for Jim, he's kind of erratic <laughs> um, in his behavior and his, his wants and desires. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think there's a, a generally stronger through line for Pam uh, right. for her evolution. And that's the the thing about the relationship between Jim and Pam is um, on Jim's end, there's not really conflict or self doubt. Like um, the it's it's strongly implied that he doesn't have ill intent toward Roy. Well, no, he he pretty much does actually. <laughs> but, yeah. um, like when when he breaks up with Amy Adams' character, for example, that episode's also pretty clear. No, Jim knows what he wants, and he, yeah. he pursues it doggedly. Well, you see, he pursues it, but he really like he pursues it to the edge, and then he wants Pam to say something to him. Yeah, he wants her to make the first yeah. move because she is engaged. And again, right. I think he does have some of that self identity. I'm not a man who's going to break up an engagement. Yeah, but if she breaks up the engagement for me, I am all. You know, I'm perfectly fine with right. that. Uh, but he and until that climax of season two, he's not willing to take that step. And then he does, and it doesn't work, and he he fails. Uh, you know, right. on the city of Scranton. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that. Whereas with Pam, like the one thing I think they actually did a poor job, especially in season one, is showing why was she ever into Roy. And we do find out later that they dated in high school and sort of an inertia thing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I'm really glad they did is after they broke off the marriage, it frustrated me in my Russian apartment um, that she got back together with Roy. I was like, come on. This because the the cycle I was expecting was, oh, they're going to drag this out forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually helped because you get to see Roy. Um, oh, heck. When is it? They're, it's like at a Christmas party or something. I don't remember which episode it is. Oh, it's embarrassing. But uh, Roy comes and jokes with her about their their honeymoon that never happened. Um, he's and they're they're eating like the leftover entrees from their their wedding, yeah, right? Yeah. And... <laughs> um, and then when you are at Phyllis's wedding, uh, Roy pays the band to play their song, and he and he's he's sweet to Pam. And to be fair, he does go to her art show. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. No, you see Roy try, all yeah. right? Uh, more than we ever saw when they were together. Right. He yeah. immediately hamstrings himself with that comment about, yeah. I win! <laughs> but, um, and and I like it, because even though I don't know that it fully answers why is Pam with Roy, like, I'd still watch that prequel series. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely helps the conflict which, in Pam become more real. Which, in the age of modern tele- television and how popular uh, The Office is on Netflix, don't be surprised if we get some other series <laughs> set in did the world you, of The Office. Did you see them joke about it on SNL? Uh, I didn't see that, but I know it's been joke, uh, you know, yeah. uh, floated here and there. They, they brought in a bunch of cast members when Steve Carell, I think Steve Carell was the 
the special guest. Um, and they had more and more cast members make jokes about, we have an announcement, and then... Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was horrible and cruel. Although, really, that show doesn't need to come back. I saw seasons eight and nine. They're, they're fine. <laughs> I mean, if it does come back, my guess would be it's when NBC Universal does launch that streaming service in 2021. Oh, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> that, if, if it ever does, that, that Just, would be the moment. Like, I'm going to watch the Lord of the Rings thing on Amazon, which I'm actually really psyched now because they said it's going to be in the second age. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> no, I'm going to watch the heck out of that. That is not what we're talking about in this episode. No, no. But uh, off the air, let's talk yeah, about Lord of the Rings. may have you back in the future. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Almost as good as The Office. <laughs> Ugh, that felt gross. Um, so um, if, if sometimes when we're trying to like understand uh why these characters are so interesting to us we do a game that um a screenwriter recommends which is give 10 adjectives for the character and oh, wow. and and he says these can be contradictory because sometimes that's what makes characters interesting is okay. that simultaneously you're going to have contradictory aspects within them so if we're going to try and nail down pam beasley um at this point in season 3 right uh, yeah. you know and maybe after these changes that we're seeing what are some of the descriptors that we would use. We're talking about Pam right after her monologue in Beach Games. Yes, in these two episodes that we just recapped. Okay, her her breakthrough. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. We're going to say determined, kind. It's only two. I've got eight to go. <laughs> um, we'll dig into the good ones at the end. I assume that's why you're doing it that way. Um, determined. Well, okay. Kind. Well, like already yeah. with determined and kind, yeah. we're seeing where some of that conflict can come. Yes. Right away, because uh, when Karen tries to give her that out, the kind part of Pam wants to take that out and smooth Karen's feelings. Yes. But the determined part, it, which is stronger now than it has has been to any point <laughs> that we've seen Pam that, oh, says, wait, oh, okay. I'm going to own what I said. My Okay, my third adjective is unapologetic, which is related to determined. But that conversation with Karen is, I think, in a very real way, Pam vanquishing her internal foe, defeating the antagonist, Pam. Um, because, uh, oh man, I'm going to screw this up now because I'm on the spot, but, uh, Karen's like, Hey, you didn't mean it. And that's totally cool. And Pam's like, Oh no, I meant it. But look, I know you're with Jim and that's okay. And I forget how she words it, but she words it in a way that's not ambiguous, but she reads her own words ambiguous. She's like, I'm not dating Jim. You're dating Jim. And I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. And then she says, sorry. And, um, uh, absolutely love this karen who is also a brilliant character who did nothing wrong mm-hmm. um, she says what are you sorry about like anyone karen also had the opportunity to take that out mm-hmm. um and, but she's like no i'm gonna press here because she correctly sees pam as a threat mm-hmm. um and she's like what are you sorry about and then pam has to like fumble around she's like oh n- nothing never mind <laughs> um but oh wow that's a good conversation it was hard to pick a second episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so unapologetic Sorry. is, uh, even though ironically I just talked about her apologizing to Karen for no reason. Um, okay, and then we're going to go with uh, supportive. Yeah, and I think that is really important for her relationship with Michael. Yes. Right? Like, she saves Michael from himself so often. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then another thing that I love about Pam that is another kind of contradiction to kind is she actually has some deep sarcasm in her. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that especially in beach games. You see it all the time. But where she was so excited to go to the beach, she's like, well, I have the most boring job in the office. Why wouldn't I have the most boring job on the beach? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that sarcastic thing, I think it actually it advises her character in the coming seasons quite a bit in the way she deals with Jim. Um, okay. So we've By got the way, I remember the name of the screenwriter who recommended this. It's David Isaacs is the screenwriter who does this 10 adjective descriptor oh, for characters to try and break I feel break like this I know out. that name. He wrote a lot of sitcoms. Okay. I accept. <laughs> yes. All right. So we've got those. And at the risk of repeating myself, so I don't remember all of mine, we're going to jump over to um, Keenly Self-Aware. Um, Which is a new version of Pam. I don't think she was as self-aware in, yeah. in season one and two. The um, She has these wonderful self-contradictory conversations with herself all the time um, where uh, I'm going to blow this one too, where she's talking about like I think that Al-Qaeda would like me if they met me. But then she's like, <laughs> but, because uh, she's mad that Karen doesn't like her. Right. She's like, yeah, I can't, I've been kind of cold Karen, not a reason. I feel like people got to know me, they'd like me. I think Al-Qaeda would like me if they got no... Is it, 
I don't know where I was going to that. But she does have a lot of these, like myself, self-contradictory uh, statements she'll give to the camera that I love. All right. What else do we have about Pangren in season four? Uh, I mean, definitely we need to put in the creative side of her, right? Which, oh, absolutely. Yeah, which which it, yeah. it sets her apart from most of the people in the her office. Her art, fun trivia, is the prettiest art of all the art. <laughs> Thank you, Roy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she's... How do I make this into an adjective? Um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll call it ambitious. Right, I, I, okay, but what I was about to say was really similar to yours. Unfulfilled. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good too. Yeah. Like she, like she, she sees a version of herself with her art and her relationship with Jim and everything that is not her reality. Yeah. And and I think that that unfulfilled part is part of the like the core sadness of mm-hmm. of what we see from Pam, <laughs> which I think there is a sadness to her. Yeah. Um, up through this point, uh, like the series, Michael Schur shows send, tend to end with everyone having it there happily ever after. Right. <laughs> um, and she definitely gets some of that at the end. Uh, you know, after after the trials with Jim and everything. Um, but at this point, I I think there's um, an innate uh, melancholy to yes to Pam. Um, no, absolutely, absolutely, and I think. One of the reasons for that is because she has such a clear conflict with herself. Um, but yeah, even watching her overcome it, she she has a tendency to. Um, I feel like she needs validation, mm-hmm. although that that need definitely diminishes as the series progresses. Um, but she she attaches her self worth to will other people be with me, you know? Uh, well, and also do will they respect me or uh, and again like am. I living the version of myself that I want. Like at one point, she, yeah. says, she says, I can't, "The quote is something like, not very many little girls grow up wanting to be a receptionist.'" Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's a really self-critical statement to be making. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, at that moment, and she know. I, I think she knows it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when she says that to the camera. Um. Uh, oh, let's throw competent on there because uh, competence. Uh, not necessarily at her job, which is its own can of worms. Um, but they, there's this interesting, I think you could draw a, an XY chart four planes. It's late. I'm tired. Um, but you have four sections where like, um, like socially competent, socially incompetent. And then on the, the vertical, it would be, um, um work or career. Competency. Yeah. Like good at life. <laughs> or work competent, not work competent. With with Pam, it's not quite as cut and dried because um, as a receptionist, we see her ignore voicemails uh, or calls all the time. Um, as a salesman, she's notably terrible. It's her defining trait as a salesman. Um, and then as an office manager, she is not. She's nothing. Nothing special. Uh, well, they just don't. They don't really address what she does as an office manager. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like Dwight, it's more they they wrote in so much how bad she was as a salesperson they had to give her something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to do. Well, the okay. So there's two things that bother me about uh, Dwight or Dwight um, Pam, the office administrator. Uh, when she has confrontation with Dwight, um, it does. It's a good moment for Dwight, bad moment for Pam when he basically takes pity on her and says, "Eh, you know what? You can have this win." <laughs> um, and then this just bugs. Me as a realtor, when she is in that showdown with Dwight, it would have been so easy to actually find other commercial properties. <laughs> it would have been so easy, and she doesn't do it. She instead takes the harder road that just of inventing a spot. Yeah, right? <laughs> like to find stock photos that made a coherent-looking office would be so much harder than just call a realtor. She knows Carol. She knows a realtor. <laughs> um, oh man, oh that scene bothers me. <laughs> That's I, I, I get that I'm coming from a somewhat unique angle on that one. But, um, I was at uh, hey, sorry, I, yeah no I, I, I any final descriptors that you can think of for Pam I, I think we've got a good list of she has tra- red hair yeah that's that's accurate um, okay how do I put this into an adjective um, good at suffering fools. well I'm trying to, I'm trying to think yeah <laughs> long suffering. <laughs> Oh, long suffering. There it yeah. is. That's the one. Well, I was trying to think of like what sets her 
one-on-ones with the cameras apart from the other characters because each character has a certain tone to what they do. Mm-hmm. So Creed is going to do a non-sequitur that reveals something dark, <laughs> right? Um, Oscar is going to try and show how he's smarter than everyone else but often embarrass himself <laughs> in the in mm-hmm. the process. Uh, Kevin's just going to be nonsense. Angela's going to be judgy in her one-on-ones with the camera. Uh, Jim is going to provide exposition with a lot of snark. Uh, yeah. it, you know, that's kind of his go-to. So the... Michael's is going to be complete lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, and what he's saying. So what is, what so is Pam? Here, here's what I would contend. I would contend that everyone has a lack of self-awareness. Yes. Uh, in that show. Like you said, um, uh, like Jim, it, it, like his aloofness is very much a, I'm better than yeah. this. But the reality is, no, Jim, you're not. Yeah. This is the life you've earned to yeah. be <laughs> a mid-level salesman at a regional paper company. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the camera confessionals enable that so clearly. And what I would say is Pam's, how would I describe the lie that Pam tells herself? So both Jim and Pam lie to themselves about um, their emotional honesty, although that's more of a up to the end of season three. Uh, then, then they do become a little more uh, truthful in their behavior and in their, their confessionals. Um, I would still say that Pam lies to herself about uh, how kind she is perceived uh, by others to be, because you do see, especially as we get into her pregnancy arc, she has the ability to just be, be pretty domineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, whenever there's a party planning committee trauma <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. happens, uh, no one is the nice one in the party planning committee. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and she can function in the politics of the office pretty well. She, as far as I, oh, no, no, Creed also does. But um, she lies her way into the office administrator position. Like, there's there's nothing honorable about what she does. But um, she she plays the political game just fine. Creed, I don't know, I don't remember if this is, like, extracurricular, if it's mentioned in the show. But Creed also uh, just showed up. and Yeah, I think he says know. that. And yeah. I think he says he doesn't even know what he's supposed to be doing over there. Yeah. Which Qua, I think. Quabity Ashwood. <laughs> Every time I, I want to uh, make a supercut of every time we see their computers behind them, but Creed's is always on solitaire. So is Meredith. Yeah. <laughs> Meredith and Creed's anytime, even in background shots, they're playing solitaire back uh-huh. there. And, but even in close-ups with the camera, like talking right to them or Michael talking to them, it's always solitaire on their computer screens. <laughs> well, I like that. Uh, I, and I, you have uh, helped me to see more about, Pam's transition. So I appreciate that. Uh, her of transformation course. and the way you talked about her internal, external um, obstacles. Loved it. So well let's done. just do like nine episodes about The Office and we'll go through the whole cast. <laughs> do you have a favorite side character that never really has an A plot? Because, I mean, there's there's your Jim, Pam, um, Dwight, and Michael. That's kind of your core that are going to carry a lot of the A plots. Then there's Angela and Oscar, kind of the next year. Yeah. You know, and then there's, uh, you know, your Toby, your Creed, your, so, your Meredith are below that, you know, the next tier down. I do think that uh, Kate Flannery's performance as Meredith is mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could call her – something I find interesting would be Angela's character. Of She's the only character I can think of who consistently is a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and they give her an arc where they try to make her sympathetic, where the senator is cheating on her. And, and it tries to make Oscar into more of a villain in that process yeah, too. Yeah, Oh, yeah, Oscar. Um, I have a friend who is Oscar uh-huh. in, in, in every way. And so when I see Oscar, I'm like, that's that friend. <laughs> I will not name said friend. That would be rude. But yeah. So Oscar. Oscar has one of my favorite other little moments. It just, yeah. uh, it's, it's a little joke that for some reason landed so well to me that when, uh, I can't remember who it is, but someone brings in an espresso machine to the office and someone mentions the word espresso and he goes, actually it's pronounced you said it right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and he cuts I, himself off. I'm sorry. I just assumed you would have said it wrong. <laughs> um, no, but so with Angela's arc where they try to make her sympathetic when the senator's cheating on her. And then she goes to Dwight and says, well, I didn't want to tell you that he was your biological which, son. Which they established that it wasn't. So I'm always a little confused Okay. That. Okay. So here's how the fans have gone after Because that. that makes um, no sense. Because they DNA test that it's not Dwight's yeah, son. Yeah. So it's just a plot hole. Period. That said, the fans to the rescue. Um the conclusion is that uh, Jim and Pam had their kid in there and Dwight grabbed the wrong diaper. Oh, okay. I'll take um, it. <laughs> how did 
Angela know it was Dwight's son? Maybe she got a separate DNA test? <laughs> um, this is one of the magical happy, happily ever afters that happens in Michael Schur's shows. And it's the worst, because the problem is withholding a man's son from him because you want him to love you for you is not a good reason. That's not, that's not going to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and the thing is, Dwight has a, a pretty good arc in seasons eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, yeah, and uh, he for, for the ladder, ladder character development, he, yeah. he's the best. And they were prepping him for a spinoff, so that may be why we see some right. of that. Um, oh, that backdoor pilot is so bad. It doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's really... a reason NBC did not order that backdoor pilot. Yeah, that, <laughs> was, series. that was rough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on The Office as a whole before we wrap up this episode of the Protagonist Podcast? Uh, I'm trying to think some... Okay, I'm just going to open a big old can of worms, so have fun. Um, but... I think one reason for me The Office stands out superior to Parks and Rec is um, whereas – because I'm just going to throw them against each other. Nobody asked. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's possible to like two things simultaneously. Oh, no, no, no. I know. And I do love Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, this is coming from a place of love. Yeah. Um, but the reason Parks and Rec doesn't work as well for me is because the what I think he did is you see the flanderization of the Office characters as they get deeper and deeper into the show. And for me, Parks and Rec started there. Flanderization being that the characters become their quirky characteristics. Yeah, their quirks become their defining characters. Yeah. yeah. Or their, their entire character, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. So that's, for me, The Office, it, it it feels so intimate and real because, admittedly, the characters are weird and unrealistic, but it's a question of degrees, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm hanging out with my friends when I watch it. Okay. I can see that. Like uh, Oscar. I told you I have a friend who is Oscar. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to throw out, for me, the, the best Ren besides come from Creed, where and they never overused him. If he ever carried a whole A plot, I think the character would fall apart. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you just need him to fly by once every four episodes for some weird bit of history. I mean, from cocktails, his you see he runs a fake ID company <laughs> with a laminated machine he stole from a sheriff, like, and that's never addressed again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Well, and I love that so many of the bits of his backstory are the actor's real backstory. <laughs> Yeah, 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 <laughs> That When I found that out, it made me very happy. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us, listeners. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 120, when we talked about Parks and Rec, number 218, when we talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and number 223, when we talked about The Good Place. We've been on our Michael Shirk on the protagonist podcast hot dang it's a good kick to be on <laughs> you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or you can follow us on twitter at protagonist pod at jay Dorowski, and our producer andrew is at dis minute and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast and kevin you have a podcast called dice buddies correct yes uh on my podcast i play dungeons and dragons with uh tori pence from studio c with uh zach atherton the owner of improv broadway here in provo and then, oh man, I'm tired. Uh, Tanner Rolf, who's a stand-up comedian. And then Ren Amira, who is a cosplayer. Um, we're a lot of fun. Right now, at the time of this recording, we're only on YouTube. So you go to YouTube and look at Dice Buddies. We're the logo with a green background. Um, that was not my choice. But it's a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listeners, I recommend it. Uh, thank you again for listening to this episode. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. You're better than this, Tom. You don't know it yet, but you will. All right, are we recording?